Give us any chance, we'll take it. Read us any rule, we'll break it. We're gonna make our dreams come true. Welcome to the Afternet, a podcast about eight seasons in a row. I'm Mr. Fernandes and... I'm Chris Jerry Wardna. Hello! We're about to review Crime Isn't Pretty from Season 7 of Learn Showing. Written by Al Eggman and Nick LaRose and directed by Tom Trubovich. I'm sure Chris has some facts coming up about Nick and Al. I do. I do, I do. I do, I do, I do, indeed. Yeah. Here's what the episode's about. The girls are apparently robbed thanks to Shirley losing her labeled house keys during her trip to Disneyland. Hoping to solve the crime while they're out in the town in Palm Springs on Frank's dime, Carmine and Frank prowl the place for clues only to net Rhonda and Squiggy instead of the purse. Force them try to figure out the best way to protect the girl's place. By a series of revelations, visits, and interruptions, along with some odd gunplay, eventually leads them to an amazing truth. What do you think about this episode? The hell was that? <laughs> what the fuck was that? Your girl just turned into a gun PSA. Yeah, now... I am one of those people that I'm not necessarily, and I'm more, I lean more anti-gun than pro-gun per se when it comes to my like, my own personal like belief system. But this, what's unfortunate is that there are really good ways you can do gun PSA episodes. I uh, especially will point out the one from um, the the gang violence one for uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. That is, yes. a, that is a powerful powerful moment of te- in television history. This is bizarre, yeah, and really it is. it it turns into very much almost like a like a like a dumbed down kid show at the end. Very strange. Yeah, yeah. and it's a it's because it, the sad thing is, I I also feel like just in terms of like what this episode is conceptually, it's trying to be another bubble episode like Stepping Out or one of those, and it doesn't. I'm having trouble figuring out exactly what is missing here. Now, part of it is I just haven't had as much time, I think, to stew on this as I have with others. But one of the things that bothers me about this and and why I say, like, what the hell is this? Is, you know, what's yeah. going on? Is that the whole gimmick to just get the girls out of there and make this yet another yeah. episode without Laverne and Shirley pretty much at all. Like, they're there for the beginning yeah. and then it's entirely about the rest of the character, the rest of the cast. Yes. What is weird to me is that... The answer, when you get the revelation and reveal of what was actually responsible for the theft, who was responsible for the theft, it's awkward and anticlimactic. And the interruptions, like, why is a priest just walking into the house? (laughs) Like, maybe Shirley made a friend and she offered him something, but it is no real... But reason established for him to be there. Yeah, it is. Uh, well, the, 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 well the only reason the only reason he's there is to return the key because one of his kids at the field trip to Disneyland discovered yeah. it. Yeah, but it's. Yeah, yeah, true, but my true, point true, is, true. That, so there's a reason. There's a reason. Okay, all right, you're correct. There's a reason. After but all. but but my point is is that you're returning an object. You put it in the mailbox. Yeah. You talk to the landlord and say, "Hey, um, I think their spare key or their house key got lost. Uh, one of my, you know, one of the kids at the the parish found it. You know, uh, or on the field trip, whatever. You don't just use the damn thing and let yourself in. <laughs> that's that could have gotten them shot. Ironically mm-hmm. enough, I mean, literally, that's the point of the episode. They could have just gotten shot. Um, this is one of the weirdest episodes in the show's canon. It kind of sets the tone for season eight. Uh, it's kind of self-mocking in a way. In a way, it's kind of mocking the tropes of the sh- of the um, 
entire show. Uh, David Lander's just out there pretty much alone, riffing on himself and uh, having a ball, or as much of a ball as he can, mm-hmm. in this weird, 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 weird episode. Uh, it pretty much makes no sense. We start out with what you know feels like it's going to be a cute little crime caper episode. And then it turns out the non-answer to the big question here, who robbed the girls? Uh, Squiggy burst in, basically, and did everything except for Rhonda, who took the uh, stereo, borrowed the stereo. And the ultimate question here is, why did the girls not go question the boys first? Because they've been doing this for so long. They've been stealing their food for decades at this point. It feels like decades. They've been stealing their food for almost 10 years now. If I went into my house and my cake and the cake that I made was missing, along with my green stamps plus stereo, I wouldn't think that I had been robbed. I would go across the hallway and find out if the boys had anything. When I didn't find the stereo, maybe I'd call the cops, but I'd also check with Rhonda. Yeah, exactly. But... But and you know, this, and I and the reveal even with Rhonda is that she borrowed it without permission, which isn't okay. Yeah. But she was responsible. It broke. Yeah. She had to go get it repaired. She went to get it repaired. She didn't return it broken. She went yeah. to. She went and had it fixed. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. But it's one of those episodes that gets easily answered by uh, anybody in the entire plot using their brain. Yeah. All somebody needs to do is just think for five seconds. But nobody thinks. And then we get the very bizarre gun PSA thrown in, which absolutely feels like it was mandated because, well, kids watch the show. We had a whole episode about Reefer that was completely moral free, but it's time to give the kiddies morals about gun usage out of the blue. And uh, I also have a question. So weird. Where did this gun come from? What Frank bad boyfriend of Lever- Yeah, what? They never, they don't explain that, do they? No, no, Frank does. He has had that gun with him since Anzio. That's Frank's personal gun that he has around. No, I don't remember. No, he talked no, he he about that. No. He mentions he that it. he used guns in Anzio. No, he said, I've had this gun since Anzio. I then why is it in the girl's closet? He said, I should have left it in the closet. That's why he said, you should have left it in the closet. That's where it's been the whole time. He's been hauling it. He hauled it with him all the way to the coast. He's been in the closet. In his house. In the, in the trailer. Okay. So he got right. it with I, him. Yeah. Well, even okay, great. So my my theory that it was a really crappy boyfriend of Laverne's that's like eh, every woman should have a gun. Here, let me leave my gun here with you. Jake the Snake makes a surprising fourth act return. <laughs> and it's, this is just such an uneven, weird, bizarre episode that feels fever dreamish, even more so than Perfidy in Blue. Oh yeah, which is an actual dream. Well, that's the thing, is right. If you write yeah. a dream scene, it's gonna have more logic than this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Ding, 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 ding. This is just—it's—it's it's bad. It makes no sense. There's some, there's some bright spots. A lot of the bright spots in the character moments, in the dial, and some pieces of the dialogue. But uh, this is just—it sets the tone for what's coming towards us. It's nonsensical. The actors seem to know it's bad and are absolutely winking at at the audience. Mm-hmm. So it's a mess. It's a big old mess uh, with a lot of big stumbling blocks. You could tell that we're in the, still in the season seven era where uh, there's allegedly backstage drama. The girls only want to be in like two seconds of the episode. So it's like, fine, we'll weave an episode without you. We'll make our own Laverne Shirley 
with hookers and gambling and blackjack. Yeah, and uh, and a priest, and a and a, and a and kinky and a ki- and kinky bondage jokes. Kinky bondage jokes out of nowhere, uh, and Wanda offering to show everyone her scars and uh, her birthmark. Her birthmark. Birthmark. Yes, birthmark. 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 And Squiggy being so into it. Mm-hmm. Oh my lord. So, That's so weird. we we start with uh, called the cops over two hours ago, and it's like I told you, show we got to move closer to a donut shop. That's so cheap and funny. Yeah, it's a, it's a cheap. cheap it, it's a cheap funny joke, especially because the cop does come in munching the last little bit of like a like a yep. like a round donut. Yep. Burglars don't knock, Cheryl. I love that Shirley blurts out a, a baseball question that she absolutely wouldn't know, but Laverne definitely does. That uh, causes a moment of camaraderie. Uh, yep. between uh, her, her and, and the, the police cop. officer. Yep. Yeah. But I do like that Laverne is very, uh, she definitely is a bit on the ACAB side on, you know, with yeah. the way that she talks about, about oh, yeah. it. Oh, and Cheryl yeah. being oh, so yeah. paranoid. Okay. Uh, before I get ahead of myself too much though, I don't want to miss out because we'll probably jump away from the first policeman pretty early. Um, when he comes through the door, did he look familiar to you? Uh, no, but you, t- you were surprised that I did not recognize him. I was surprised. I knew I knew it was somebody. I didn't recognize him either, specifically ah. for at all. Bob McClure, that's Mikey the dentist. I absolutely did not recognize him. That's hilarious. That is so amazing. Wow. So we haven't seen him really since uh, season three. But uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's kind of major character actor, bit player days are behind him. And he's got a bit of TV to do and Pee Wee's Big Adventure and all that kind of stuff. Um. So trivia note, because this is his last appearance on Laverne and Shirley, that's also the brother of Edie McClurg from uh, Ferris Bueller. No way! I had no idea they were related. That's cool. That is cool! Okay, things I didn't know. I didn't know. But uh, anyway, I do love the uh, that whole, uh, it's like, what about this? What about that? And it's like, hey, you asked the questions that he's still chewing his donut. Yeah. I love how different and confident this character, his performance is compared to him as Mikey in... Uh, Season three, where he yes. was just, you know, this this bundle of nerves. Yeah, yeah, the poor guy. That's re- it's really, really well handled. You can absolutely cannot tell us the same dude at all. At all. That's amazing. It's funny. I was going to say, so, so, um, there's a piece of pizza just sitting there on the end table behind the couch that he picks up and puts down. Mm-hmm. Girls, come on. Jeez. Yeah. Three weeks of looking down the drain. God. And of course, which is immediately followed by "Don't touch your pussy cat." Yes, yeah. Don't be touching that boo boo kitty. Nobody touches boo boo kitty. Nobody puts boo boo kitty in the corner. Nobody. Nobody. And if they do, we're gonna have to answer to Patrick Swayze. Yeah, he'll dance you to death. How is Shirley this stupid that she actually has her name and address on her key fob? That is like, d- yeah. Yeah, that's bullshit. That's plot bullshit. Yeah, it is out of character for Shirley to be this dense. There's dense. This this is and also this is not Shirley dense. Notice how paranoid she's being now. She never would have, you know, paranoid people don't do things like that. Exactly. And we know Shirley is smarter than this. It's like Laverne suddenly all of a sudden being unwise viz men. Mm hmm. Seems single for a bit. I don't know. From my purposes. There's only a slight tan line on him. Go, go. Man. <laughs> oh, God. It's like... This, um, this fucking episode, man. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Oh, a harbinger, a harbinger, a harbinger. Uh, it's like... Um, 
Carmine Goomba. That did make you laugh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <sighs> that was cute. And the fact that Carmine's just sitting there eating whole cans of tomatoes. Yeah, to make his make trap. It, yeah, to, to yeah. make his trap. He's sitting shoveling tomatoes in, and I'm like, dude, you can just drain the cans. Okay, let's back up for a second. I, I wanted to mention something before we get too far. There's that bit where they're saying, you know, um, where, the, where uh, uh, Papa's going to pay for the trip, and they're like, don't want sl the slime in the house, and uh, yeah. don't want slime in our house, and I was waiting for the boys. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, amazingly, that is not a whole line. Right up there with, we don't like to be robbed. <laughs> yep. And I do find it funny that Pop first says he's got a cop friend, he'll watch the place and catch him, and then, of course, he just calls Carmine. Yep. Yep, exactly. And I love that in spite of all of their pratfallingness and their attempts at stringing everything up, they end up being bored to tears pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. My note on this is comedy with a K. <laughs> comedy. <laughs> pratfalls. My 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 mother pointed out that he was talking about, he was singing about Trip uh, Tripoli as Pomp him gets tripped on the uh, cans when he comes in. He gets tripped on the can oh, trap. Okay. Things I didn't know. That's that's adorable. Your mom's great. Your mom's the best. Oh, thank you. Your mom's but the yeah. best. You bet your, your life will never fail. They come back from the war. My wife doesn't think it works. I've been waiting 20 years to put it to you. 20 years. 20 years. Good oh, traps. Frank. We had these traps in the war. Oh, God. Right. Oh, Frank, my dear. <laughs> dear boy. I love uh, that immediate nosiness that happens. Carmine wanting to read Shirley's diary. Frank wondering if there are some strange dudes going up to his daughter's room. Mm -hmm. At the, I sense that he would approve of some nice Italian boy going through Laverne's lingerie drawer. But the fact that Carmine's been through Shirley's is um, interesting. You know, yeah. Itself. And mm -hmm. he, he does try to explain it away, which is a case of, yeah, I don't know yeah. if after seeing you read that diary, I trust yeah. you there, buddy. I don't buy. I don't buy your protestations, my dude. I do not mm -hmm. buy them at all. Of course, Frank thinks that depilatory things are related to pillows, <laughs> as he's putting the stuff on his mustache and it's, turns up yeah. and gets rid of hair. Yeah. Yep. My mustache. My mustache. My mustache. And uh, <laughs> then surprise, Pomp's got a gun. I. I just. I just. It's. On, it's no, not no. loaded, and he's just holding it. At, it's like. First rule of gun safety, treat every gun like it's loaded, even if you know it's not. Even if you know. Okay. Even if you have the slide back and you can see down the barrel, treat it like it's loaded. Yep, yep, like, so done, so oh, my God. And just, oh, oh and so Frank's bad. trigger discipline. Oh, God. Yeah, his trigger discipline is pretty awful. I will say that. I will say that. It's like, doesn't even pay attention to what he's doing with his hands, what he's doing with the barrel of the gun. He's just willy nilly pointing it. I mean, there's a photo. There's a photo that I saw recently of uh, behind the scenes of the getaway, and they're on set, and it's McQueen and Peck and Paw, and McQueen has the 1911 in his hand, and his finger is on the trigger guard. This is a guy who knows what he's doing. Oh, it's, you know, <laughs> it's like whenever I see actors being willy nilly like that with guns, I just I yeah. I cringe so hard yeah. inside. Yeah, it just makes you think of onset disasters. There's been too many onset gun disasters. Absolutely. We only want to give them a chance to do exactly. anything. Um, and this whole, I do find it interesting they give this whole mor morality thing of like, I'm American, this gun's my atomic bomb, and uh, I'm Switzerland, I'm neutral, don't point that at me. 
and even say 90% of the things with guns isn't good, which eh, I'd say 100% of the things aren't good, because even if you're killing somebody to defend yourself, you're still having to kill something. So I would say that's not good. If you really yeah. want to, if you really want to get yeah. split hairs yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah. The goal is not to kill anybody. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, the goal is not to kill anybody. That's the point. That's the point. That's what's the murder somebody. Yeah. Oh, God. And just Frank's just not paying attention here. Not paying attention at all. I remember that. Boy, do I remember that. Carmine the Diary. That's funny. Oh, yeah, the smile. He's got that smile. Mm-hmm. Ah, <laughs> oh, good grief, boy. The 31st. <laughs> oh, and, God. uh, and then, yeah, cue yes. the crook, which is clearly squiggy. Um, <laughs> he has an imaginary Lenny to laugh at his jokes if he's not there. So sad. Um, this will resurface later. <laughs> Sadly. So does this mean that Squiggy has attachment disorder with Lenny and that he needs Lenny as much as Len needs Squig? Yeah, 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 definitely. They're very attached to each other. They are peas in a single pod. Uh, David just, David just Daviding as as hard as he can. Yep. At Some the ketchup? moment, just nah, but a lemon that should be very healthy, very tart. Mm, yeah, you know, lemon mm, is good. So no. tart. That's good food. Oh, girls, did you lose a $10 bill? I take that as a no, Squeaky, we didn't. And then he gets caught in the yep, trap. Yep, 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 yep. My, I have to check my Marie calendar. That was funny. Yes, I'm not fun. good without my Marie calendar. I want That's names, funny. give me names. All right, I did it. What did I do? And they, I love him spraying, <laughs> uh, spraying Carmine with a lemon by accident. I, yeah. I'm amazed that Eddie yeah. put up with that, because, I mean, that is dangerously Ow. close to his face. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything to get a laugh. Anything to get a laugh at this point. Uh, by the way, that that point where Frank and Carmine are talking about the guns, and he says that ninety percent of the things, that, yeah, the stories related to guns aren't good. I'm like seeing this giant neon sign over the heads going PSA, <laughs> PSA, PSA. Well, and they do say that you so know seventy five percent of all statistics are pulled out of one's ass. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Bump ba dump ba dump bum bum bum. Oh oh. Anyway, okay. So yeah, we get so Squig starts getting really excited about the gun, almost like a just childlike way. Mm-hmm. I spent close to three. I spent I spent close to three weeks in the army reserves. That's one that I spent in high school. Then Carmine nodded like, "Yeah, yeah that's yeah. true." I eat gun, sleep gun, chew gun. The gun is the farmer's friend. The gun is the farmer's friend is probably the best line in this episode. Yeah. And then finally he gets this, like, all right, you bums, acting like an idiot. My note is, yikes, yikes. He even mentions Len in the middle of that, which yeah, is very yeah. very Cowboys and Indians or allies and yeah. Axis of them. Yeah, yeah. Don't call me Len. <laughs> yeah, don't call me Len. And he's trying to fan fire a semi-automatic, which would really not go well, actually, because that slide will smack your hand, buddy. Or you get nice, yeah. hot brass. Straight. Yeah, but he, he does not care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I know he's, some... prote- he's too close. So he's caught, he's caught in pretend land. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. There's some sorry, weird no, audio around the end of this moment, though. He's going pow, 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 you know? it's it, I noticed yeah. that like, it's like they repeat the uh, the ADR audio too much. Yeah, it's possible they needed to redub things. That's yeah. a good guess that they had to, like, do something, do what I don't know behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, he's just full of flights of fancy here. Mm-hmm. Then they think the robber has returned, and it turns out it's a shapely Ronda. It certainly is. I'll show you my birthmark. I see your birthmark. I see your birthmark. I was like, come on now. You should, see the boobs. Should, uh, Both the boobs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <sighs> there's some there's some good little moments here with the ten condiments when the priest as the priest comes in. The priest yeah, comes the priest. In. That's your father? He looks so much younger than you. Must be those milk baths. Yeah, that's a real line. 
I guess they finally, they, I guess they finally got something done. That economical conference of theirs. <laughs> <laughs> it's about time you give me your confession. All right, Petrie. It's about time you give me your confession. Isn't that supposed to be my line? Whew, quite like a monk, this one. <laughs> oh lord! And then you know it starts to come together for them bit by bit. Yep. Wanda explains the stereo. The Rudy stereo, and then the, yeah, the green stamps to mail a letter to yeah. Ireland. Who does Squiggy know in Ireland? That's the ultimate question. Was he trying to make nice with one of Shirley's distant relatives? Possibly. Uh, my reaction is, oh, he has a pen pal, which is possible. Oh, yeah, that's really likely. I like that. Cute idea. And the yeah. cake. I took the cake because the green stamps left a minty taste in my mouth, and I thought with the cake, they'd wipe it out. And yeah. and then the uh, the wet wool. Wet wool, which is pleasurable, which Lenny finds, I guess, erotic or something. I don't know. And I, and I love Carmine even goes, hit, yeah, him too. <laughs> Uh, oh, the way he, the way it comes out, Squiggy's what you find the smell of what will pleasurable. It's like, it's like Michael's not in the room, so I'm just going to make up stuff of this character. Oh God! And then uh, yeah, Squig looks so traumatized. By the way, as they put this all together, and then boom, we get Sledgehammer with more gun PSA. Yep, you shot him right in the L. It must have been one of the chambers. See, I told you that. I can't believe it. I shot a picture of my daughter. Could have shot a picture of anybody. Yeah, once at the the zoo, I shot a picture of a monkey. Yeah. (sighs) It's one L of a shot. Uh, My my note here is now the message comes in like, zonk. Zonk. And he just hammered out of nowhere. It's like they wanted to do a gun PSA, but they had to figure out a way to wrap around uh, a storyline where the girl's being involved. (laughs) It's just like, and it gets worse and worse as the episode goes on. It's such a disaster. These actors deserve so much better. They really do. It, we haven't gotten to the point of where we hit season eight and it looks like everybody's being held hostage. But we'll get there. I guess we'll have to count uh, the blinks. See what type of Morse code they're trying to send well, we, out. We know that Penny tried to get out of filming part of the season. Should go hide in Steven Spielberg's guest house to avoid it. Uh, Rhonda! Rhonda! Well, and then the cops burst in, and wow, this is even sicker than the priest said. That was funny. <laughs> that was good. Funny. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and then that's the end of the episode. It's it's cute. It's a bit wild, a, but we yeah. Get a tag. We get a tag. We get a tag scene. Everybody, everybody talks about what they're going to tell the girls, and then the girls come in sunburned and in pain oh right i forgot about that yeah i forgot yeah, i'm sorry know. i'm sorry i didn't care about that scene very much so i didn't note it yeah. down oh well the whole thing is messy the whole episode's messy but yeah yes there is a tag scene the girls sunburn themselves over in the um auspicious heights of palm springs at Fran frank's dollar uh and they um they are in pain so they don't even really notice anything <laughs> So everybody gets out of having to explain stuff. Ugh, this messy, weird, weird, weird episode. All right. Okay, so I've got the uh, behind the camera and front of the camera notes. Let's start okay. uh, chopping through that. I'm surprised this is an Al Eidekman episode. This is a ninth, yeah. his, his ninth of 11 episodes. He has two more to go in season eight. Just before this episode, he did write Only, Only Hurts When I Breeze, which was another bit of a yes. weird one in terms of tone. Now, after the show, yeah. he'd drop into an episode of Happy Days, an episode of Taxi, kind of sticks around the sitcom scene until the mid-90s, we're going to marry with children, and kind of seems to have semi-retired in terms of that sort of thing. But it's yeah. a little strange. You know, we've really have liked Eidekman's scripts in the past, yeah. and I was really surprised yeah. that this one just didn't come together. Now, yeah. Nick 
Nick LaRose. This is his first of four episodes for the show as a writer, with three more to go in season eight, including story credit on the infamous Monastery show. Oh, Yikes. Yeah. We'll oh, get to that. So we can blame him. <laughs> we I think can so. blame him for so much wrong. This uh, this was his first credited written by Giggs, but he stays active in sitcoms both as writer and producer for shows like Brothers, Growing Pains, The Mommies, and Grace Under Fire. His last project credited was as a co-executive producer on Whoopi. Huh. And, uh, okay, so the actress we didn't mention, um, unfortunately, I only have real information for sure on The Priest. He was another actor-turned-writer-producer uh, named Gary Dodzig. Now, Dodzig was in TV in the 70s, including Logan's Run, The Waltons, and One Day at a Time. But then the 80s hit, and though he still acted in a few things, he jumped behind the scenes, working up behind, up to being the developing producer and main writer for Suddenly Susan. Huh. Sunley also wrote 26 episodes of Murphy Brown and 10 episodes of State of Grace. Side trivia, he was also on Hannah Montana for a couple of episodes, and most recently, he wrote two Hallmark romance flicks, The Baker's Son and, Ro and Royal Queen's Christmas. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So Very uh, neat. So we talked a bit about uh, Bob McClurg uh, as Mike, yeah, Mikey the Dentist. Uh, at this point, he, as mentioned, he had done, you know, his character bit player stuff like The Candidate, uh, Magnum Force, Oh God, Cheech and Chong's next movie. And he kind of continues in TV shows uh, like Aftermath, Madam's Place, Legman and Codename Foxfire, etc. Um, but yeah, it became kind of less frequent as an actor in the 90s and the aughts. And then the two that I had trouble tracking down information on. So the two cops at the final scene are uh, credited as Richard Locke and David Key. So David Key, I was not able to find anything on the dude. Uh, I had a little bit of a time crunch for today, so I probably could have, you know, gotten something. Perhaps uh, it also could have been a pseudonym because apparently. So this is a tricky one with Richard Locke. When he's credited there and you go to IMDb, it lists it as Richard Holt Locke because Richard Holt Locke was a gay porn star. Um, but, uh, if that is, but this is the interesting thing, because if that is the case, that also means that David Key, the other policeman may also be another like porn or smut actor, which would make the ending more ironic and more of a joke for people who are in the know, because basically if they're both porn actors, them coming in on this smutty scene, because the priest is trying to get them arrested for obscenity, obviously. And yes. to do that would be interesting, you know, would be, have those actors be played by, people in adult cinema would have been very funny and very interesting. And uh, I mean, it would have been like, you know, today's equivalent of like, you know, throwing, um, you know, uh, uh, Tommy Pistol and Sasha Gray or something. Yeah. It's one of those, we can't confirm. It'd be cool if we could. I'll keep working on it. Yes. Uh, yes. But that was kind of an interesting touch. Anyway, so that covers behind the camera, in front of the camera. Altogether, though, this is a weird episode. I'm not sure I really like it that much. I'm going to give this a four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, this is a three. I'm going to go a little bit lower. We haven't hit the doldrums of the ones or twos. This is where the show starts to crack. And it's a harbinger of the future. Mm. Performances try to salvage it. David Lander tries to center it. Some of uh, Eddie Mecca's work is pretty good. Uh, Phil Foster goes a little bit too stagey here, in my mm -hmm. opinion. And, mm -hmm. and um, Leslie Easterbrook is trying. She's trying very, 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 very hard with what she has. But uh, this is uh, not good at all on a writing level uh it's not good on a plot level uh the psa is so obvious you could compare this to like shows like the slow child slow shows like what do you do with drunken sailor mm -hmm. episodes like um even look for your leak and you compare what those episodes have 
to this, and this is what people think Laverne and Shirley is versus what it can be. This is what people think. They, they, people stereotype the show as being this loud, crashing, obvious thing. And this is really one of the few episodes uh, where, you know, not a few, but this is one of those episodes where it is what it is a stereotype that people think it is. Yeah. So it's just a bad, bad time all around. It's a bad time all around. The one of the very few good things about it is David and what he tries to do with uh, what he's given. Yeah. Yeah. And I also love the whole Rhonda thing where she goes, if yes. I didn't, you know, I didn't realize the girls had one of these. I would have asked to borrow it. Yeah. 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 She's good. Leslie is always good in this show. Yep. Very damn good. Anyway. Yeah. But I think that covers it. So yeah, three and a four. Yeah. This is, yeah. Okay. Anyway. Um, yeah. yeah so because that covers everything for today. Yeah, eh? it does. Definitely does. Cool. So we'll have a quick word from our sponsor. We'll be back for what's coming up next. And I think you'll want to find out what's coming your way. All right. Thank you again, everyone, so much for watching Night After Night. And if you would like to know more, you can find us at Night After Night Pod on most services on the Internet, different social media platforms and the like. We have tried to maintain a pretty regular presence, but we're pretty pretty stretched thin so you know but in any case we hope that you join us and stay in touch we would love to hear what you think and also see what you think of this episode do you feel that this was a appropriate gun at psa or do you think that it was just a bunch of uh, government mandated junk or was it possibly just a bad idea gone horribly horribly wrong or was it some terrifying creation concocted by the writer's room in dark magical rituals that bring forth the fountains of hell objecting a script upon the, uh, the stage that only the most brave actors of the laverne and shirley troupe can perform how many children were sacrificed kids ah, ah, tell us in the comments um, <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh anyway uh i'm uh I'm, I'm trying to figure it like this is pretty rough do we have do we have a good one up next oh yes we do we do Shirley has a wild dream about a soapy universe in which she is an heiress having a splashy affair with her chauffeur will this dream surely survive her philandering husband to find romantic happiness this is perfidy in blue Ooh. oh that's right and you know i think i know just the person to join us for that Gasp. We'll find out soon. So will you. Husband, Tracy requires an alcohol. <laughs> Bye, y'all. And remember, if you end up having to solve a mystery with any of your friends and family, keep them away from your lover's diary. It's just a polite thing to do. Bye, y'all. Mm -hmm.